Well, this morning we're continuing our sermon series on the way of Jesus. Um, The past several months we've examined how the way of Jesus is often different than the way that many of us have kind of been taught how to live through our family upbringings or through simply growing up in America, right? The American way tells us to work hard and make as much money as possible so that we can buy big, extravagant, nice, fancy things. But then the way of Jesus tells us to sell everything we have and give it away to the poor. The American way tells us to stand our ground and fight against our enemies and don't take no lip from anyone. But then the Jesus way says when someone slaps you, turn the other cheek, tells us to pray for our enemies and to bless those who wrong us. And last week, Pastor Bob talked about the way of purpose, and he shared how Luke 9 is kind of a hinge chapter in uh, the life of Jesus, and as he starts to focus his attention a little bit more towards the cross, he knew that his time on earth uh, was limited, and so he was trying to teach and train his disciples how to live so that when he was gone, the good news of the kingdom could be spread throughout the entire world. So today we're kind of picking up in this part of the story, and we're going to be examining the Jesus way of evangelism. The Jesus way of evangelism. And so I want to get some feedback from you guys, get your, pick your brain a little bit. What comes to mind when you hear the word evangelism? I got all kinds of stuff that comes to my mind. What pops, what thoughts, ideas, or images come to your mind when you hear me say the word evangelism? The floor is open. What's that? Yes, the guy on the streets, yeah, holding big signs, repent, yeah, sure. What else? Oh, TV evangelist, yes, yes. What else? That's a good one, yeah. I didn't even think of that one, actually. What else? What's that? Yeah, okay, going door to door, yeah, trying to get converts, sure. What else? Oh, there's some good ones, people. That's it, nobody else? All right, for me, oh, go ahead. Yeah, 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 just negative connotation. Doesn't even, yeah, you don't even like that word evangelism, sure. Anyone else? I've always thought of evangelist as anybody who spreads the word of Jesus. Sure. Yeah, evangelist is anyone that spreads the words of Jesus. Good, you're right, absolutely. When I hear that word, I often, my mind goes to awkward methods of evangelism. I think of people in loud cities, like when I've been into New York or Chicago, who stand with uh, their bullhorn on the street corner, and they literally just scream. And anybody ever encountered a bullhorn guy? Yeah, they scream and shout at people and tell them, if you don't repent of your sins, you're going to hell. There's no hope for you. You're never going to make heaven. I never have seen anybody ever talking to those people. Ever. No matter what city I've been in in the world, nobody's ever talking to them. I also think of people who use money gospel tracks. Has anyone ever used a money gospel track? Nobody? Yeah, there's one just like, this is a $10, it's a fake bill, and so what this is, it's supposed to get someone's attention. So you put these in public, and once someone bends over and picks it up thinking they, oh man, I just got 10 bucks, they realize it's a phony, but they realize also that there's some information on there about how money can't buy them heaven, and how they need to pray the sinner's prayer. Believe it or not, I owned a couple of these back in the late 90s, I had zero success using these. I don't think I had any converts, but if you're someone that has used these in the past and it works for you and you've had a lot of fruitful breakthrough in ministry, more power to you. Keep, keep doing your thing for sure. 
Um, I think for some of us, there's kind of this unspoken guilt sometimes that comes with our evangelism or our lack of evangelism. We think we're not bold enough in sharing our faith. We think thoughts like, oh, we're not doing enough. We're not, you know, stepping out of our comfort zone enough in sharing Jesus with others. And I think this is especially true for people, for those of us who were kind of in middle school, high school, or college 15 to 20 years ago. Christian culture was much different back then, and methods of evangelism were often very impersonal and agenda-driven. I grew up kind of on the tail end of this Christian culture, and so to get an idea on what views just young people today have, I had to call several people this week. I called about four or five people from Wellspring who are pretty fresh out of high school and just asked them their thoughts on what evangelism is and what it looks like to them. Um, And they collectively said that evangelism to them is about the way you live, display, and model Christ to others. It's about living your life pursuing Christ and simply inviting others with you on the journey. That's not how I would have responded 15 or 20 years ago if someone asked me what comes to my mind when I hear the word evangelism. And so my, my prayer today is that we can gain some clarity on the Jesus way of evangelism, examine our motives, and also hopefully break down some barriers that often hinder us from living out our faith and sharing it with others. So let's dive into scripture, open up to Luke 10. Luke 10, 1 through 7, it should be page 724 if you're using um, a pew Bible this morning. Luke 10, starting in verse 1. And Jesus had just kind of finished um, um, telling those with him the cost of following him. So we're picking up kind of right after a pretty intense discussion between Jesus and those who were uh, traveling with him. Luke 10.1 After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Now, it's pretty... Common knowledge that Jesus had 12 disciples that he spent the majority of his time with. I don't think anybody would argue that. But he also had quite a few other disciples as well, such as the 72 in this passage. But the 72 were just people that weren't given quite as much access to Jesus' life as the 12 disciples were. And so Jesus tells the 72 here, he tells them that the harvest is plentiful. Basically meaning there's lots of people out there just around Jerusalem and Israel and beyond, lots of people that need to hear the good news of the kingdom and the king. They need to hear the good news of who Christ is. And so he gives them um, instructions. Um, um, He sends them out in pairs, tells them to take no purse, no bag, no sandals, basically nothing, right? For us, it'd be 
no phone, right? No tablet, no iPad. And then, then he gives them instructions that have often been overlooked by many Christians, myself included. Let's read verses 5 and 6 again. This is what we're going to spend our time on. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. So here we're introduced to the concept of a person of peace. And I grew up in church. Has anyone ever heard of the person of peace? How many are familiar with that? Less than 10. Wow. I grew up in church my whole life, and I never, ever heard anyone ever talk about a person of peace. But after being a part of kind of a small group uh, several years ago at Wellspring um, and learning, uh, learning about this, it has completely transformed the way that I view evangelism and the way that I share my faith with others. So you might be wondering, what in the world is a person of peace, Justin? I'm really glad you asked. I'm going to be using quite a bit of material from a book called Building a Disciple in Culture by uh, a former pastor named Mike Breen who has some incredible insight on what a person of peace is and how we recognize them. Um, First slide here. Breen says this. Jesus' message to his disciples then and to us today is that as we are walking in this world, we are to be on the lookout for a person of peace. Who is this person of peace, and how do we recognize him? Very simply, a person of peace is one who is prepared to hear the message of the kingdom and the king. He is ready to receive what God will give you to say at that moment. This should be our prayer as we venture forth each day. Lord, bring into my path today a person of peace, and give me the grace to speak your words to this person. And Breen goes on to give insight into how we recognize a person of peace, and this is huge. According to Jesus' instructions in Matthew 10, which we're not going to get into in Luke 10, um, a person of peace will be someone who welcomes you. This is definitely worth writing down. Someone who welcomes you, listens to you, and serves or supports you. A person of peace is someone who welcomes you, listens to you, and serves or supports you. And I want us to look at kind of a practical example of what this looked like and how it was fleshed out by the Apostle Paul um, and how he followed this Jesus way of evangelism by being on the lookout for a person of peace. So let's open up to Acts 16. Flip over two books. Acts 16, it should be page 771 in your pew Bible. We'll start in verse 13. This is Luke um, uh, writing as one of Paul's traveling companions as they were trying to spread uh, the Christian message to the people in the city of Philippi. Luke sixteen thirteen. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. 
If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Uh, So Paul was teaching the Jews and some other just religious people about Jesus Christ. And while he was doing that, he was on the lookout for a person of peace. And as he was preaching, um, a woman named Lydia, her heart became open and she responded to Paul's message. And Paul engaged her in conversation and realized she was a person of peace. We do not know the details of that conversation or what that interaction was like. But we do know that as a result of it, Lydia and her whole household were baptized into the Christian faith, and she welcomed Paul and his traveling companions into her home and let them stay with them while they continued to plant a church in the city. Lydia listened to Paul, welcomed Paul, and served him and his friends by allowing them to stay in her home. And even though Probably a lot of us aren't, you know, weren't familiar coming to the church today with the concept of a person of peace. I think we know when someone is a person of peace and when they're not a person of peace. Some of those are extremely obvious. You know, when you try to engage someone in conversation at work or the cafeteria or wherever at school, and they seem pretty interested in what you have to say, there's a good chance they could be a person of peace. When you're having a conversation with someone and they seem to ask you a lot of questions or maybe they support something that you're about, there's a good chance they could be a person of peace. I went, I remember a while back, I was at um, U.S. Bank off Ashland making a deposit, and oh, there was a bank teller there that I had never seen before who somehow recognized me, and um, she, I, was, you know, I was cashing in a check, and she saw a Wellspring, and she goes, oh, you got a Wellspring. I was like, yeah, I do. Um, I've been there for you know, three or four years. And she went on to talk about like 10 people that she knows at this church, even though she's never been to a service here. She told me she's scared to come here, scared to go to church for some reason. She just went on and on talking about all these people, and she's heard great things. And I was running late for a ministry meeting, and so I was kind of making a quick trip, and I kept the conversation really short. But this woman, like, was extremely intrigued by my life and the fact that I went to this church particular. And so I kept the conversation short, and as I drove off, kind of off the parking lot, I mean, God spoke to me and hit me like a ton of bricks. He said, Justin, that woman was a person of peace, and you missed out on that opportunity. And I, I mean, it hit me. This woman was so open to anything. I literally think if I would have just kept talking to her on her lunch break, she would have let me baptize her in one of the pools next to U.S. Bank. Like, she was that open to what I had to say. But unfortunately, I was, you know, I left her with little to think about or wrestle with because I was in a hurry to make a ministry meeting. And the person of peace concept is much different than ways of evangelism that were dominant back when I was in middle school and high school. Rather than passing out tracts, anyone pass out tracts before? Anybody know? Passing out tracts or approaching random strangers in the, the park or the mall with no concern for their present life, but just whether or not they were going to heaven. Person of peace method is relational. It expresses interest in the future and the present condition of the person in front of us. And I'm not, I'm not saying anyone that passes out tracts or does streets evangelism is bad by any means. Um, but for me personally, when I engaged in methods of evangelism like that, it was often because I carried a guilt with me of not feeling like I was saving enough people or doing my part as a Christian. And when I approached people, if I were honest, I had an agenda. And that agenda was to get them saved 
if you will, so that I could feel good about myself and feel like I was doing my duty as a Christian, even though it was completely void of relationship or genuine care or concern for the people I spoke with. As Mike Breen says, I didn't realize that evangelism is more about inviting a person to walk the walk of faith than it is simply trying to get someone to pray a prayer. Evangelism is more about inviting a person to walk the walk of faith than it is simply trying to get someone to pray a prayer. And I think another big tension we have in our culture is kind of between the two extremes of all proclamation and zero proclamation. You got some people who are constantly just, you know, preaching to people. You got, you know, I mean, uh, the bullhorn guy is the most obvious example that's very extreme. Constant proclamation, but they never back it up with, you know, serving people or meeting their needs, at least that we see. And then you kind of have some people who are on the, kind of on the far side of the spectrum who somewhat kind of live by this famous saying, a lot of you have heard, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. There's definitely some truth to that, but that kind of plays into a little bit of a social gospel that says, hey, you know what, we need to live our life, serve people and meet their needs, but we don't really need to ever really tell them about Jesus because our actions need to speak louder than our words. And I understand kind of the heart and the motive behind that, but the way of Jesus is not either or, it's both and. In Luke 9, he tells his disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Meet their needs, serve them, care for them, physically heal them, but also proclaim the good news to them. Because the reality is that in the midst of serving people, we've got to at some point explain the hope that we have and where our hope comes from. So there's definitely probably a need for balance in those areas, regardless of which side of the spectrum we tend to err on. And kind of a last thing I want to talk about with this issue is, if there's going to be persons of peace in our life, then by default, there's going to be persons of unpeace. How many of you have people of unpeace in your life? Mm, yeah, some of you, yeah, 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 that'll get you talking. Persons of unpeace. Some of them are very obvious, right? That neighbor you can't stand. Some of them are a little, little more subtle that we've got to be sensitive to, you know, just kind of the condition of their heart. Have you ever had someone in your life you tried to preach the gospel to them, and it was like your words constantly fell on deaf ears. You tried to invest and invest in this person, and they just were not open to what you had to say. Anybody ever experienced that? Three people have preached the gospel. Yes, okay, thank you. There's more hands coming up. Yes, that would describe, that type of person would describe someone who's not a person of peace for you. You know, they may not flat out just reject you and just go off on you, but they subtly just kind of go, eh, you know, or just look away, or they're, they're staring at their phone the whole time you're trying to talk to them or whatever. There's signs, you know, if we're smart enough to pick up on them. But if you're anything like me, we often try to force those conversations. At least I have in the past. There's that person we really like, or there's that kid that we just believe in, and we know he's got so much potential. If he could just mature or grow... And so we think, man, if I just smooth my words over this way and maybe you know, present it this way again or use that example, then it's going to click. Then he's going to be open to receive what I have to say. He's going to get baptized next week. And so we try to just twist and manipulate and just use all kinds of different ways trying to get people to be open what we have to say. 
But the truth is we can't make someone a person of peace. It is completely the work of the Holy Spirit moving in their hearts. And there have been a handful of people here. in my past. I've been working here almost five years. There have been a handful of people that I have tried to pursue and tried to really initiate um, you know, relationship with and try to point them to Christ. And looking back, I, I realize now they weren't persons of peace. I wasn't aware of this concept at the time. And so I just kept trying to force it, right? And I was like, man, this, this kid, he's got so much potential. If he would just stop acting like an idiot, God's got so much for him. And so literally, I would like stay up at night thinking of ways I could present the gospel more effectively or if I could smooth my words over then maybe this time after the 87th time light bulbs are going to go off the heavens are going to part he's going to say Justin you've been right all along thank you but it never happened and I became frustrated with those people some of those people are here today I became frustrated with God honestly I couldn't understand why someone like me who had good intention was I was trying so hard to reach out to these young people and there was just no fruit in their relationship, and there was no breakthrough at all. And I would go to bed th- thinking about these people, turning them into my projects, and just growing and in increase frustration over why they were so stubborn. And I can look back now and say they, weren't, they were not persons of peace for me at that time. Some of them are now, thankfully, and we have pretty good relationships, and they're open to my life and what I have to say but it would have been a lot easier for me to just be open to who God was putting in front of me rather than trying to f- constantly force conversations that were just painful every week with people whose hearts weren't ready to receive what I had to say. And I think we often diligently pursue persons of unpeace because we don't like rejection, do we? We don't like when that kid or that daughter or son or that neighbor or that classmate, we don't like when they reject us. Some of you young life leaders are thinking, man, I get rejected every week by middle school or, you know, freshman punk. Shoot, that's just part of my life. We don't like when people reject what our life is about, whether they're vocal about it or just real, you know, smooth and nonchalant. And a lot of times it's easier for us to keep pushing the issue with that one kid that we just have faith in. We keep pushing it even when their hearts aren't ready. And what's interesting is that Jesus did the exact opposite. He willingly let people walk away. Mark 10 shares the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler. And basically this young kid had all kinds of money. He was extremely rich. He approached Jesus and said, you know, master, what do I have to do to follow you? Jesus said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you can truly follow me. But the young kid was unwilling to sell his possessions. And so he walked off, he walked away, with a sad and heavy heart. Jesus was okay with rejection. He let people walk away. And in his book, Permission Evangelism, a guy named Michael Simpson kind of described this interaction like this. Christ was evangelizing, but it sure doesn't look like the way most people do it today. Even though it says Jesus loved him, he stood there and let the man walk away. Why did Christ not follow him when he walked away? Why didn't he try harder when this man seemed so eager? Why didn't Jesus get him saved before addressing this difficult area of his life, his riches? Christ didn't run after the young ruler because he knew the young man's heart wasn't ready. 
Jesus knew and let him walk. Jesus never ran after anyone. Instead, he made himself available to those willing, excuse me, to wholeheartedly seek the way to God, the truth about God, and the life found in God. And I think the most important thing, I'm going to get real with you guys, to consider in examining the Jesus' way of evangelism is that if we are truly in love with Jesus, we can't help but talk about him. We won't be able to stop talking about him to people in our life. When I think about what Christ has done and how far he's brought me, I can't help but share that with others. Um, this past week, I was looking through some of my old journal entries that I wrote during some pretty dark times in my life. I was getting a lot of counseling. Um, I was filled with insecurity, depression, and a sense of uh, just honestly a hopelessness. I um, I didn't think there was a reason for me to live. Um, and if you don't mind, I'd like to read a short section of a journal entry that I wrote on September 23rd. 2009, I said, I have to let myself be loved by God. I'm the type of person who constantly beats myself up. I compare myself to others, and when I fall short of their success, I start condemning myself, and I feel like a failure. When you're stuck with the mindset that you're a failure, it's hard to believe that you're worth anything or have any value. It makes it almost impossible to love yourself. I'm not even sure how I'm to love myself, but God, please show me. And it makes it extremely difficult to allow myself to be loved by God. For me to look back on such on my writings during such a dark time, how in the world could I withhold sharing that from other people? When I think of how far God has brought me and how he's redeemed me and rescued me and saved me, how could I do him the disservice and others the disservice of not sharing those stories with other people, of how he has radically changed my life? It is a privilege and a joy for me to share my faith with other people in hopes that they can experience his grace and redemption like I have. King David in Psalm 34 said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. In Acts 4, Peter and John said they couldn't stop speaking about what they had seen and heard. They couldn't stop proclaiming who Christ was and what they had seen him do around them. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says that Christ's love compels us. It's Christ's love that compels us. And if you're truly following Christ, you will want to share that with others. And if, you're, if you don't want to share that with others, it's a question to ask, am I really following Christ? If you are in love with Jesus, just like a man is in love with a woman, right? He can't stop talking about her. He's, a, he's just fascinated with her, right? It's the same with our relationship with him. People want to hear stories of our meaningful engagements with Jesus and how we've been changed by that relationship. Share your story. 
and see who's curious to know more. That's evangelism. That doesn't feel like a burden. That should feel pretty life-giving. When is the last time you took the time to remember what Christ has done for you? When's the last time you set aside some time you remembered the grace and the love that he's extended to you and continues to extend to you each day? When we remember who he is and what he's done, we won't be able to stop speaking about him. We won't be able to stop speaking about him. There are so many people in this city, in St. Joseph, that need to hear stories of how Christ has changed my life and your life. May we be a church, can we be a church so compelled by Christ's love that we can't help but share him with others? And that's my prayer today. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we just thank you so much for your love for us, God, and how you have, God, rescued us. God, and you are just constantly standing in front of us with open arms, wanting to take us in, just wanting us to just run into your arms, God. Jesus, there are so many people in our lives that need to hear us share the stories of what you have done in our hearts, God, and just the transformation that has taken place, God. Fill us, remind us, God, of who you are. Help us to not to constantly just get sidetracked and beat up with the things the world throws at us, family demands and work demands, God. Help us to make just the central aspect of our lives, God, you and reminding ourselves and those around us what you've done and how far you've brought us and redeemed us, God. It is our privilege and honor to share your good news with other people. Help us to never take that lightly, God. Pray that you'll be with us for the rest of this time. Um, Be honored by what we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand with us as we sing one last song.